All right, welcome back to PRA Raw. As promised, we are going to do a segment on the Godless Engineer. He had come out with a, a video criticizing Jay on whether the Gospels are eyewitness accounts. Now, it, before we dive into this, I just got to give you some background. I really like the Godless Engineer. I think he's funny. Yeah, he curses a little bit too much for my Christian mind, but he is definitely entertaining. He has an award-winning smile, and he is funny. So when you watch his videos, always take that in mind that he is a mythicist. He doesn't believe Jesus existed. So we are going to tackle the uh, first five minutes of his video because he gives us a lot of material to, to, to consider. And maybe as we go on, in the show in PRA Raw, we'll tackle different parts of it, or we'll pick another video. But uh, we're not going to just solely focus on the Godless Engineer, but we're going to go through a lot of different videos. So if you could just stand by, we're going to start the video and then give our opening thoughts. First off, I got to say is if you're going after Jay Warren and Wallace, expect a response. And not just from me and Rob, but from a lot of different people. Right, Rob? That's right. Uh, Jay's a personal friend of mine. So uh, I'm definitely uh, looking forward to uh, this segment here. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Okay, we'll continue it. So there's the first claim there. So Rob, what do you think? Is First Timothy written by Paul? And secondly, it's kind of it's kind of dirty to like take a section where Jay is actually on stage preaching uh, to a. He's not like giving a lecture lecture. He's summing up things so that you can dive more into it. So I think it's kind of fair unfair to make a response video where you're, you're, you're taking just different snippets that people are actually supposed to supposed to like whet their appetite to get them to read his book. Now, I don't know if he's read the book, but Jay goes into a lot of detail about these things and, in cold case Christianity. So, Rob, what do you think? Did, did, did first, with that aside, did, did Paul write First Timothy? Is there a good reason that he wrote all 13 uh, epistles? Well, um, first off, I'll, I'll let you know that I'm an early, um, I'm an early guy when it comes to uh, the whole entire New Testament. I believe the New Testament was completed well before the end of the first century, uh, first and foremost. Now, I do know 
that of the 13 books of uh, the Apostle Paul, the letters that he wrote, there are uh, six that are under under scrutiny, and one of those is First Timothy. And the question: Did he did he write it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, when you look at certain uh, elements, as far as um, that you you can look at. Uh, I, I could go, you know, I don't know how, where you want to go with this, David. I guess uh, uh, would, I, what I've gone and done is I've broken this down. So yeah. I guess maybe yeah, just you give just your, want give to. Your, yeah, give your, give your take. And uh, yeah, just give your take on, on it. You can break it down as much as you want. This is raw. Say what you feel. Um, I've broken it down too. So, okay. <laughs> and I'll okay. tell you what I, what I think after that. Okay. Well, first and foremost, uh, you have Paul's, uh, prison epistles, which are Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. He wrote those in prison. It isn't until you start uh, getting to the pastoral epistles, which are both letters to Timothy and Titus, and even if you want to include Philemon. So those were actually after um, after um, Paul's writing of the epistles. Now, there's some things that you can look at that not everything is solidified with reference to say like with Paul opening up Paul a uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ which he opens up every single one of his letters with that in itself does not necessarily prove that Paul wrote the letter but at the same time the question of Paul and Timothy and and their relations a lot of skeptics and I think John uh, uh, John Gleason here who is the uh, uh, it, who's the guy we're, um, we're critiquing. We see Timothy not just in Ephesus, where, you know, Timothy's sitting around going twiddling his thumbs, wait for Paul, waiting for Paul to get with him. That's in uh, Acts 16. But you see in Acts 18 that he's in, with Silas in Macedonia, and he's with a group of, group of folks in Acts chapter 20. So it very well could be uh, without any problem, at least with those two things, that Paul could be. But I want to get into something else here because what what John Gleason does not do is he doesn't deal honestly with the facts. What he's doing, he's taking a crack at J. Warner Wallace. He's taking a crack at his book, Cold Case Christianity. And and with to his to his credit. Now, wait a minute, you're saying, wait a minute, Rob, you're going and giving credit to uh, an atheist. What you're getting from uh, the uh, the godless engineer, John Gleason, is you're getting a lot of rhetoric. A lot of rhetoric with no uh, biblical, sound biblical criticism. Now, there are some things that when people listen to John, uh, godless engineer Gleason, what they'll do is they'll hear certain pieces as little kernels of truth and say, you know what, he must be right. Well, no, he's not right because there are some things that John does not have, like biblical criticism underneath his belt. I don't know his background, whether he's a former Christian, whether he's seminary trained, and if he was a Christian at all. But just because, number, let me just 
get a running start here. Just because Paul says Paul, an apostle of Christ, doesn't necessarily deal with the fact or doesn't absolutely prove that he wrote those. Now, those are those are common signatory, but there's also another um, thing you've got to take into consideration that um, Paul's conversion was within three to five years after the ascension of Jesus. Okay. So, and, and Gary Habermas um, has a whole presentation on that where he takes the, takes the letter to Galatia in Paul's two years in, in Arabia, and he takes some certain events in the book of Acts and, and even in some of his other letters, and he goes and he paints a nice picture putting Paul's conversion. But Paul was also a Roman citizen. He was arrested by Rome. He was in prison. He wrote the, uh, the prison epistles. And as he's writing it, he opens up his letters, Paul, an apostle of Jesus, to the church at, or the people at, or those scattered by, and all. So, but there's a, there's a style that um, a lot of skeptical scholars and rhetorical skeptics, like uh, the godless engineer John Gleason, what they don't take into consideration is the fact that this, this key stylistic device known as amanuensis. And what that basically means, David, is the fact that this was a practical scribal practice and where you had a scribe who penned the letter as the author dictating the message from the source. Yeah, he was so the secretary. He yeah. was the secretary. Yeah. So when you look at, say, like Romans, with the end of Romans in yeah. Romans 16, 22, he says, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. You look at the end of Galatians, you say, Paul, you hear Paul in his writing say, see what large letters I write to you. He wasn't talking about the content of the letter. He was talking about the very fact that he had a problem, probably from the second missionary journey, where he contracted malaria, which affected his eyesight. So um, when you take the amanuensis, you take how he opens it up. I think it brings those first seven and those last six, and I think it brings them together and brings Paul as the author of those letters, including First Timothy. Okay, well, let's let's check out his argument here, and then I'll give you my response. It was not written at the time of Paul. Second, what makes you think that it's more likely that Paul was quoting from Luke rather than Luke quoting Paul? It seems way more likely, considering all the other evidence, that Luke was quoting Paul. So I wonder what evidence you have to suggest that it was Paul that was actually copying Luke, or quoting Luke, rather. We're going to find out, but if you and, so, Okay, so... Hey, <laughs> what do you... What evidence are you referring to to refute this? Because tradition and the early church fathers, all the evidence we do have says that First Timothy's been with us. I mean, we got the mature... The, the, the Martyrian fragment. We've got the uh, Papias, and he goes in and talks about the unreliability of Papias, as, as we'll know. But here's the thing. Papias is still evidence. <laughs> so we have the evidence of the early church fathers, whether you disagree mm -hmm. if they're mm -hmm. credible or not, where's your evidence? You you make an argument from total silence almost because there is no counter evidence. There's zero. And that's where I wanted to start. But if you really want to dive into this, uh, Rob, you touched on a lot of this uh, 
I, I mean, I think the subjection goes away with the idea of a secretary or uh, am a nuisance. Uh, but, like, I look at this and I have to divide it up in, in four section parts. I'm very analytical this way. Mm -hmm. So yeah. we look at the chrono chronology of, of First Timothy. And right. we look at the literary style, the ecclesiology and the theology. And the critics yeah. don't think that Paul goes to Macedonia because it's not described in the book of Acts. But what they don't realize is that the book of Acts stops with Paul living at his own with his own expense, you know, uh, on his own expense in Rome for two years. And then it stops. We don't know what happened at the end. They just right. assume that he gets killed. And I think that maybe I, I think Paul was released at this point during this first trial. And then, you know, obviously he goes back during Nero's time, right? you know, and, and that's where the beheading goes. So there's plenty of time from what about like 80, 60, uh, uh, 80, 62 to 80, 67 or 80, 64 to 80, 67. So I think we've got plenty of time where Paul can do this. So I, I, the chronology isn't really a problem. Now, the literary style, I can understand people getting a little upset about, but then you have the secretary. You have proof of it in Romans uh, 6, 16, 22. Uh, one big thing is that, you know, the, le the, 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 the literary style doesn't, doesn't add up. There's a lot of non-Pauline words in there. And most words considered missing, though, are also found in the epistles that are unquestionably Pauline. Sure. So... The non-Pauline words are usually found in groups where Paul is discussing like new topics. And when examining Paul's life's missions, it's no wonder he employs different vocabulary in different areas. So, yeah. I mean, I don't think yeah. that's too big of a problem. So if he wants evidence, I think the evidence internally is very good that I, that yeah, yeah that, that, it, that it goes that way. I mean, over half of what they call the Hapax Legomina which are words that are possible. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I, you, you have better pronunciation than me, Mr. Greek scholar, are found in the set where they're found in the Septuagint, which Paul would be familiar with. So it's not like he doesn't know these words or he's an illiterate. Paul is very smart. And not to mention that the use of those words could be because Paul's addressing new subjects in Christianity with a bunch of different ethnicities to boot. So I think that the, the weakest argument is from ecclesiology. You know, they, yeah. the, these mythicists often say that, you know, the church is too structured at the time, but we're talking about first century Jews. They, their religion was their it identity. It was pretty primitive. It was pretty you know? primitive, you know? And of course, you know, he brings yeah. in, he's saying Luke is, uh, Luke so-and-so quoting Paul, Luke quoting Paul. You got to understand that Luke wrote his gospel somewhere around AD 60, and he was writing to a, uh, a Greek agree. known as Theophilus. And then in, a, in the book of Acts, which is, uh, which is the, if you look at the longer title, it's the Acts of the Apostles of Christ, which was the history of the beginning of the church, the ministry of Paul. And then I agree with you, he was probably released and then eventually beheaded around AD 64, 65 by Nero. Mm -hmm. So, but... When you when you have Acts, Acts was right around 61, 62. So you have the gospel, you have Acts. And by the way, there are commentaries now coming out with Luke that call them Luke-Acts because Luke and Acts are actually coming in, in one commentary because it's the writing of Luke. Now the question is, um, what about who's quoting who? 
Yeah. I don't see anything where Luke would be quoting Paul. Well, you know, I, and I, I don't think... see anything where Paul would be quoting Luke, other than the fact that Luke might have been Paul's secretary as and as part of the missionary journey, the first and second missionary journeys, and maybe. Uh, he might have watched uh, the movie Paul, uh, the Apostle, uh, and saw that gonna, yeah, Rob, Jim Caviezel gonna, was actually uh, playing the part of Luke and being his amanuensis. I, I do want to get back to that in a little bit because we're going to get into when Luke and Acts were written. And I just wanted to say that, you know, the first thing, back to Timothy, first Timothy, when they're talking about the structures of the religion, uh, you know, they were first century Jews. They would have had an idea of a structured religion. Sure. I mean, their national identity, their identity was 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 consumed by that religion. So my main problems with the, theology, I think, are easily explained when you actually understand that Paul wasn't dealing with Gnosticism. Maybe he was in its earliest forms, but he was. I, I think you can you can easily explain that away. So when he's look when Gleason talks about, you know, the the who you know what what is the best inference here i think we still got the best inference because a not only do we have the tradition not only do we have no counter tradition against it right but when you actually break it all down in those those areas it comes out that paul does actually write first timothy yes all right let's move on let's move on wallace is wrong yet again then please stay tuned Alright, before we get into today's video, I wanted you guys to hear a word from our sponsor, which is just me, Crestus. Check out this little ad for Crestus. Interesting it's name. Right. Christianity. Then consider downloading the Crestus app, available on Google Play and the App Store. Crestus yeah, I'm giving him a, 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 a little uh, boost here. Letting his, uh, <laughs> his ad play out. Get it, get it. The Learn about it. Jesus Christ don't support his existence. Oh, in, in collaboration with Richard Carrier on top of it all. Oh, yeah. The sort of a brief outline of when the Gospels were written and why we know that they were written that in that order. And so, first... So, here's where we have the main... I, I, as, as this has gone on, I've noticed a very big arrogance... You know, I, I, why does it like, well, why he's wrong? Why, you know, doesn't he realize that this is still hotly debated? I mean, I, I don't see where, you know, like we know this. We know, no, there's a lot of debate still around some of these controversial issues. I think that there is some debate around controversial issues. In fact, I spoke with Jay Warner Wallace um, back in 2017, face to face, handshake to handshake, hug to hug. I mean, I know Jim personally. And um, Jim and I disagree on John's uh, dating of John's gospel. I'm an early guy. Uh, I believe the gospels were well finished before. Where, where Jim and I do agree is that the, at least the synoptics, he and I disagree on John, but I, I go on, I challenged him to look at uh, a couple uh, ideas with regards to the uh, fact that John's gospel was completed before AD 70 as well. But uh, all, both of those, and, and here's the thing, here's the thing. If you're, picture David, if you and I are writing a gospel narrative and you're gonna write it from your perspective, I'm gonna write it from mine. 
and you and I are Jews, and there's a huge event that happens in the history of the Jewish world in AD 70. Now, that was only, that was predicted by Jesus in Matthew 24, 1 through 2, Mark 13, 1 through 2, and Luke 21, 5 through 36. He, those, and they're the, the exact, they are the exact same rendering. Same words. If you look at them and you're using like a good translation, they say the same thing. Okay. But that happened in AD 70. So if you and I are writing, you know, we're tag teaming with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John for that matter. And uh, wouldn't we, if we're writing a historical narrative, record in our gospel something that happened in Jewish history? Yes. To uh, go he, and tell John's, what happened. And Gleason does not get that. He yet, does not. But he's got a response for it. Listen. Oh, I'm sure. Paul. Paul is writing in the 50s, and this is the earliest that we can establish Paul writing. Now, Paul's letters do contain some material that most likely dates to the 30s. I'll even give them an early 30s dating for like He's very gracious. It exists in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. But now what we're going to do is we're going to fast forward about 20 years or so. That's when Mark was written. We know that Mark was written at this time because Jesus alludes to the destruction of the Jewish temple. This is just one thing that points to Mark being written after 70 AD. There are plenty to this particular dating. Like the fact that Jesus ben Ananias is a, pretty much a skeletal example of the life of Jesus in Mark. So like I said, there's plenty of evidence out there that says that Mark was written in the 70s AD and that Mark was written first. The next gospel to be written was Matthew, who came in sometime in the 80s. And then Luke was written in at least the middle 90s. We know this because Luke actually uses Josephus in order to generate a good portion of his narrative. We know this because of certain places and certain things that he gets wrong that Josephus also gets wrong, but not just because he gets them wrong too, he gets them wrong in the exact same way that Luke gets them wrong. So Luke most likely used Josephus as well as Homer's Odyssey and Iliad as well as other historical historical writers at the time in order to fill his gospel and acts with a historical color. And then what you have is the gospel. All right, Rob, you're laughing over there. Let's start it. <laughs> oh my gosh, where do you want to begin? Um, Luke, uh, in what What did he say? What year? Uh, Mid-90s. Mid-90s. He put Luke mid-90s. How is it that he writes acts? And the inauguration of the church at Pentecost, unless he does not believe that Acts was written by Luke as well. Now, to his credit, he puts Mark early. Um, he holds to the popular view that's based on the fact that there's a document called Q, which is nothing more than German redactionist criticism going and supporting the, the theory of Q and Mark and priority. I'm a Matthean priority guy. I believe 
basically that they were written in the dates, uh, in the order that they were written. I put Matthew somewhere around uh, 45, 50, somewhere in there. Mark in the early 50s. Luke at 60, 61, along with Acts at 61, 62. And then John sometime before AD. And, and here's the thing. There was a fragment about an inch and a half by inch and a half with regards to John's gospel, because I'm sure he puts John probably like in the early second century, that this thing known as P52, it's John Ryland's papyri. It's in the it's in the Ryland's library in, in England. And the papyrologists, the, the fragment when it was found in this Egyptian garbage dump was sent to three papyrologists in Europe. And every one of them said it was within 30 years to the original. It was a small fragment of John chapter 18, like one and two or something like that. And it was written on both sides. So you have early gospels. So I I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You know, Dan Wallace, he, he comments on that as well, is that you could actually date uh, that that Ryland's papyri to 100 to 150. Yeah. And then if you're gonna, it, with, you're well within your rights to pick the early date, uh, which you know most people settle on about 120, 125. Uh, but you're well within your rights to go there. If you're gonna say 30 years, that puts it well into the first century. If you're gonna go with the early of the of the dating on the on the papyri, you're looking at, you know. Uh, Earlier than that, seventies, you know. So well, yeah, if, <laughs> if you're yeah, if you're looking at John's Gospel, Original I'll just throw, I'll just yeah. throw this out there, where I, I believe John's Gospel was written before AD seventy, because in John chapter five he talks about the pool of Bethesda and he uses a historical narrative and syntax and genre, in talking about this pool. He says there is this pool. So he's speaking from the present pr present uh, historical historical um, present. From that perspective and then why did not john talk about the the um uh the the the, the sacking of jerusalem that josephus talks about now if you want to talk about josephus josephus wrote um uh somewhere around well josephus wrote somewhere around ad 66 ad 70 and of course, his works were published about maybe five years after uh, AD 70, and they published in AD 75. And we have copies and uh, abridged versions and uh, books that um, basically have been redacted as far as uh, the Josephus quote in Antiquities 18, 1, 1, and 1, uh, which is not what you, what you get today in that volume is not what Josephus really wrote, but there's enough in the original. And I, I like it when atheists tell me this because I'll, I'll agree with them, you know, that you don't have uh, the fact that Jesus calling Josephus calling Jesus the Christ, that he was risen from the dead. No Jewish writer, no Jewish writer slash Roman citizen considered a Jewish turncoat would ever, ever say that Jesus was the Christ, number one. And number two, that he's risen from the dead. He would only go on hearsay knowledge and that. You know, they say that he was risen from the dead. They say that he was the Christ, but he's not going and making a committal. So uh, Gleason needs to really read Josephus honestly. He needs to really read the Bible honestly because he really doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a little bit, bit further, and then, then we'll get into more of the discussion and wrap everything up after we're done with our points here. 
Gospel of John, who was most likely written in the second century. So, oh. to put this all into perspective, it pretty much all goes back to Paul, writing in the 50s. And then Mark, who most likely used Paul in order to generate portions of his theology. And then all of the other Just Gospels... Just went off on a tangent. And then Matthew, and then Luke, to write their narratives. This represents how we currently understand the timeline of the Gospels. So, let's get into J. Warner Wallace and his evidence for the eyewitness accounts being the Gospels. What are some of the ways... Alright, well that's, that's pretty much all I'm going to cover as far as his opening there. And the reason being is, I think that's enough to start with. So... Again, as, as we continue on, Rob, I'll let you go first, and then I'll give you my, my summations and, and stuff like that. Uh, so when, when was, like you said, when was Luke written? I mean, I think we have a have good reason. I, I put Luke around 1661. When he, yeah, when he asked about this timeline, you know, this is how we understand it. Who's the we? Mythicist? Because, you know... They're not a majority, right? Okay, because he says, okay, the majority of, of scholars say this, and I'm like, okay, where are you? What majority? Where do you find this majority? You know, have you read the majority? From what I know, the majority is actually a ton. I mean, I've got quotes from pretty critical scholars right here that have actually, like William F. Albright, you know, that is that has swung his his pen pendulum uh john a.t robinson you know they say stuff like you know uh like for all for existence albright wrote we can already say emphatically that there is no longer any basis for dating any book of the new testament after about 80 you know so i mean we yeah. have this that's that was a. T. robertson yeah. yeah yeah i'm familiar with john robertson's uh a.t uh, yeah. robertson's quote um yeah yeah, um, you know, it's interesting. Um, you pick a mythicist for us to go and evaluate. Uh, apparently, he hasn't heard of Bart Ehrman because Bart Ehrman wrote uh, with um, a, uh, a great, uh, the name, uh, the guy, um, wow, can't remember. But it's the documents of the Christian church where he talks about the types of documents and everything. He co-wrote with... Uh, with that guy, the second edition of it. But Bart Ehrman was at an atheist council uh, uh, meeting. I guess it was a convention or something. And he said, and of course, you know, Bart is an agnostic one day. He's an atheist one day, and he just doesn't know what he is, depending on how he's feeling. And he said, stop believing that Jesus didn't exist. Just, just, just cut it out. You, you don't. You don't give yourself, you don't give your argument credibility. And I would say that to John, uh, Mr. Gleason as well. Stop it because, you know, you need to understand there's plenty of historical facts that Jesus of Nazareth existed in time, space, history during the time that the New Testament documents actually say that he did. Now, I'm using something that he disagrees with, but secular history would also put it, put his timeline in there as well. Yeah, you know, one thing I, I also noticed was the use of, well, we have evidence, and he gives this one evidence. He gives one piece of actual evidence about Jesus ben Ananias. And I think, where else can we find this Jesus ben Ananias? 
none other than Josephus. I don't know of any other record that talks about Jesus ben Ananias. Not too much. Well, Just Jesus was, yeah, yeah, Jesus, according to, in 2007, there was a, uh, uh, an ossuary that was found in Talpiat in south of Jerusalem. And it's known as the Talpiat tomb. And it had Jesus, or Yeshua, or Yehoshua, Ben Joseph, and Miriam, and, and Yeshua. But do you know, uh, Gary Habermas uh, was called on to, um, uh, to investigate this, and he was called over with a couple other scholars. I think uh, Ben Witherington was with him as well. And they went over to Jerusalem, and they looked at it, and they did the research. And do you know that there was about 38 common names, and Jesus was one of them. Yeshua, Yehoshua, it was all that. So Jesus ben Ananias uh, wouldn't even even line up with what uh, Gleason is actually talking about. Yeah. Uh, it's be Jesus, Yeshua ben Yoshe, Joseph. You know, he, he's got the wrong Jesus like the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses do, but he's from <laughs> the perspective of an atheist, or, right. uh, an yeah. anti-theist. So. Uh, when, when, when we get into the, uh, you know, we know that Mark was written at 70 probably because you know, Jesus mentions the fall of the temple. Again, we start with the presupposition that Jesus wasn't able to be able to predict the future. And that's that 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 was striking. But another thing that was striking was, you know, like even Ehrman believes that, you know, Jesus predicted the fall of the temple. But what bothers me further is that, you know, there is no mention in Acts of the event. There's no mention of any of it in any other, you know, there's no mention of it actually falling. You know, it's just Not predicted. Even in Paul's and, writings. And then, then, then you have, and this is where, you know, he starts criticizing, you know, uh, using Occam's razor, what's the simplest explanation and this and that. Well, look at the evidence. What does the internal evidence actually say about this? You know, A, we find there is a consistency that, that the gospel writers had throughout the entire thing. And that is they they would write um, about things that came to pass after the fact, like Judas, for example. Then they'd add he was the betrayer, you know, after the fact that it happened, you know, that he betrayed, you know. They added those things in. Uh, in Acts alone, you have Luke, in 1128, Luke mentions a famine that he says comes in the time of Claudius, right? Yeah. Right? So, yeah. You, you know, you get you get no hint of the Jewish war in 66, if, if it's written in the 90s, you get no, you get none of that, none of that. You get actually a more positive view of the Romans, which if it was written later, and we know from other writings that the Jews at this time would have had a very bad picture of the Romans if they're writing after that Jerusalem temple fall. Yeah, but one of the things, too, you bring up an interesting point where they talk about in the past. But if you look at the Greek texts for the prediction in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospels of the fall of the temple, mm -hmm. it is future all the way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it, it is future it, all the way. And there's other inconsistencies if you're trying to read it in a past event. You, you know, like a, you can't put a future in a past in a why past would, tense. Yeah, why would Matthew or grammatically? Yeah, 
why Matt, why would Matthew then say, let's hope it doesn't come in winter? You right. know what I mean? Right. You know, so, you know, there's so many it, things in the text themselves that refute it. Right. And this is and this is goes to what you were saying earlier that, you know, these mythicists spin a web that have these little droplets of truth and strings of truth. But once you get caught in it, it, it gets you all twisted up in a bunch of lies. Yeah, well, that's how, how our young kids today become atheists, because they listen to garbage like this. And they hear a little bit of the truth and they say, well, how come my pastor didn't tell me this? Uh, because they hear one little kernel of truth and then all of a sudden they're hooked. And, um, you know, you can, I, I, I forget how it was put. There's nothing so precious that the truth of the truth that it's covered, by a, covered with a bodyguard of lies. And of course, when you have when you have little kernels of truth being sprinkled into a whole bunch of 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 uh, rhetoric, for that matter, you know, one of the things you brought up just a moment ago, David, was the fact that um, we know this to be true because we know this to be true because that, and 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 I, I appreciate the fact that he's confident in knowing what he knows to be true, but whatever's following the know we know what we know to be true is totally one either muddled. Two confuses the facts, or three confuses history. Yes, yes. And and with that, Rob, I, I've got one more little tidbit because I didn't I, I didn't get a chance to look in this completely, and I can't remember it from my previous studies in Josephus. But does Luke use Josephus? No, I don't think so either. So it, like he no, gave some, some absolutely some not quips. He gives some quips, but. From what I can remember, and if and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I remember studying Pliny. So when we get into areas of authorships and stuff like that, writers did have a certain style, okay? But it was a, a pretty cool thing for a writer to change his style and to use different stylistic approaches. Sure. Pliny did it several times, and it was yeah, actually and, considered and, and a see, good trait. And Pliny was a skeptic. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the the whole idea that 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 Luke Jos uses Josephus and Josephus uh, uh, uses Luke, I'm going to tell you now, is highly controversial. It's, it's still debated. So there is no we know. There is no what is the evidence and this and that. No, this is a debate that we can have. But I'm telling you, the evidence internally, and we haven't even got into the external evidence for the early dates of the Gospels. Right. I mean, at one time. You can look at a map, as Tim McGrew talks about, and see all over the ancient world, we have these guys agreeing on stuff. I mean, they just didn't run into a meeting and just high-five each other and say, this is what we're going to say. This is all of them agreeing at different points around the same time. Right. So, I mean, it, it's amazing to me. And sorry, Tim, if I, if I butchered anything there. You said it a lot better than I did. But uh, we can't really, really th – this is a debate. This is not a we know this, we know that. Matter of fact, I think the pendulum's swinging to more early dating as well. And that's just my take. Rob gave his take. I think we're, we're going to bring this to a close. We're, we're actually over our hour mark, way over our hour mark. Me and Rob have fun doing this, and so does David when he's actually here. But <laughs> with that said, 
we don't have too much uh, going on in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be the 4th of July. Um, I'm going to spend some time with the family. I'm going to tell David to spend time with the family as well. With me and David, I, I don't know about David, but I'm actually, my, my, I have classes starting July 2nd. So I'm going to be probably hitting the books pretty hard as well as celebrating the 4th with the family. I wish everybody a happy 4th. Rob, have a happy 4th of July. Thank Thanks you, for you coming yours on. as well. Have a safe one as well. Yep. And you know you're always welcome to come on. How about you do me one more favor and just give us another plug for your uh, your website and stuff. Well, the Real Issue Apologetics Ministry is about helping the believer to think and equipping the and and engaging uh, the thinker to believe. We've gone and uh, we mentioned Ravi Zacharias early in the show. Ravi G, and as I call it, because he was my mentor. Uh, not just meeting them a few times and having uh, good conversations with them as short as some of them were, but also the fact that uh, I was influenced by his books. We are about equipping the believer to think and engaging the thinker to believe. You can check us out at roblundbergapologetics.com if you have any questions or anything like that. You can email us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. Thank you, David. Yes, and thanks again for coming on. This is uh, the PRA podcast. We exist to equip and to engage some. So this is David Russell, and that's the end. Have a good day. And we are done recording.